Good morning, and welcome to Upward Vision. We're glad you've chosen to join us this morning. Upward Vision is a ministry of Sherwood Oaks Christian Church with locations in Bloomington and Bedford, Indiana. Now for today's message. So I want to start off this morning um, by asking an uncomfortable question. Are you ready? Who are you voting for? No, that's not it. Uh, <laughs> but this question may be just as uncomfortable. Who do you have a prejudice against? Now, before you push back, before you uh, get up and walk out, let me define the word prejudice. A prejudice is simply a preconceived opinion that is not based on reason or actual experience. And I mean, I'll be honest, by that definition, I can tell you that, that I have all kinds of people um, that I experience prejudice against, and it has nothing to do with race or ethnicity. For instance, someone cuts me off in traffic, and I draw all kinds of conclusions about that person's character and mental capacity. <laughs> Anyone else, or am I alone in that? Okay, this is a safe place, thank you, thank you. I have that. Or if I see someone on the side of the road asking for money, I have to fight through some assumptions that I quickly make. If I hear of parents getting arrested for drug use or dealing and about kids being taken from their home, I struggle with some judgment. That, that like if I don't do something with that, it begins to kind of take a deep root into my heart. I, I see someone wearing Purdue gear in Bloomington and I wonder what in the world is wrong with you? <laughs> and you know, we don't really like to talk about it, but all of us have some kind of prejudice that hides in our hearts, myself included, and something that informs how we think or how we feel about certain people or groups. And it doesn't matter what your race, it does not matter what your ethnicity is, every single person, because it's the human condition, we all have that. And so the question is, what do we do with that? And, and, I'm, and I would argue that instead of feeling guilt or shame about those things, the better option is to acknowledge them and to do something about it. Like rarely does ignoring a problem make that problem go away, right? Like my check engine light is on right now in my car and I've been driving around with it for two weeks. It's not going to go away. Like I just need to do something about it, right? And so maybe instead of, do you have a prejudice against anyone? A better question for us today is, what do you do with the prejudices that you have? In our text today, Peter comes face to face with some of the longstanding prejudices that, that not only he has, has held, but everyone that he is close to shares. And, and what Peter has to decide is, am I willing, am I willing to let go of everything that I've ever known, everything that I've ever been taught? Am I willing to let go of all of that in order to share God's love and grace with people that honestly I don't like? And so if you're still with me, <laughs> And you have a Bible or a Bible app that you like to use, I invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter 10 as we continue this morning um, our series called Radical, Acts chapter 10. We are in, in week eight of going through this incredible book of Acts. Uh, and we've been studying just the radical difference that Jesus makes in our lives and in our community and our churches and, and around the world. And there are several definitions for the word radical. 
but the one that we have landed on to kind of guide our study in this series is, is this. It's relating to or affecting the fundamental nature of something. It's, it's, it's affecting, it's this radical effect that happens, that, that affects everything. It changes the fundamental nature of something and it's, and it's far-reaching and thorough. In other words, the difference that Jesus makes in us is not meant to be superficial. It's not just about what we do on Sunday mornings. The radical difference that Jesus is making in us should be seen in the fundamental nature of who we are and who we are becoming. That we look less and less like who we used to be. We look less and less like the world around us and we begin to look more and more like Jesus. That's the process of sanctification. It is the Holy Spirit changing us to be more and more into the image of Christ. And we, and we do that in how he lived and how he loved and how he served others. That should be reflected in the radical difference that he is making in us. And the radical difference that Jesus wants to make in us should change everything as we elevate him and the Spirit's work in us. And so if it's between what Jesus values and what our culture values, we choose Jesus. If it's between where Jesus is leading us and the traditions we were raised with, we follow Jesus, if it's between the kingdom of God and the party that we aligned with, we side with Jesus. Jesus wants to radically change our fundamental nature if we allow him to. And perhaps no section in, in, in the entire book of Acts captures this more than the text that we are looking at today, Acts chapter 10. In fact, Luke spends uh, more time on this single account than he does anything else in the book of Acts, which, which shows us that this is pretty important. It's pretty important, not just to Luke as he is writing this letter to Theophilus, but, but it's important because it captures the heart of God and a message that he wants all of us to understand. So let's look at it together. Acts chapter 10, starting in verse one. It says this, at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion who was, known, who was known as the Italian regiment. Now, right off the bat, right here in verse one, Luke introduces us to a person in a place that would have caused a visceral reaction within his Jewish audience that is, is reading this letter. First, he places this account in Caesarea, the center of Roman worship, Roman life, Roman authority, the center of Roman oppression in all of Palestine. Everything, everything that the Jews despised about Rome flowed out of Caesarea. And right here in the middle of this tense and social political scene, we find a man named Cornelius. And at first glance, Cornelius is the personification of everything that the Jews hated about Rome. As a centurion in the elite Italian regiment, Cornelius was a military leader of about 80 to 100 men and a part of the Roman occupation that was in Israel, the, the Roman occupation that caused all sorts of problems and issues and troubles in Jewish life. But Luke is quick to point out and to, and to show us that there is something different about Cornelius. Look at verse two. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. And so what we see is that somewhere along the way in his life, Cornelius became tired of the empty polytheistic religion of his upbringing, and he started practicing the Jewish faith. 
So it means that he was a God-fear. And there's even some kind of categories here between God-fear and proselyte. The, the, the one who is not of Jewish descent but worships the Jewish God uh, would be the God-fear, the one who goes all the way in Jewish customs <laughs> would, would be the proselyte. And, and so we read here that Cornelius was a God-fearing man. He loved God. He served God. He prayed. In fact, Luke even captures his faithfulness in, in these two ways, he loved God and he loved others. And Jesus points to those as the two most important things. Like if you wanna really capture the law and the prophets, Jesus says, this is what you do. You love God and you love others. And so Cornelius was li- living out these commands, but he was missing one very important thing. And that's about to change, verse three. One day at about three in the afternoon, which is kind of a traditional Jewish time of prayer, about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. And Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa. And so Caesarea was on the northern coast. Joppa was about 30 miles south on the coast, send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. And like a faithful soldier, Cornelius obeys his commands and he sends for Peter. Now, Peter, in a lot of ways, grew up um, almost as different from Cornelius as you possibly could. Peter grew up as a faithful Jew, but now living as a follower of Jesus, we, we find this incredible account in Matthew chapter 16, verse 19, uh, where, where Jesus literally hands Peter the keys to the kingdom. And, and through the, these first eight chapters, nine chapters of Acts, we've seen Peter use those keys to unlock the door of God's grace and salvation to various people groups, starting with the Jews in Acts chapter two on the day of Pentecost moving um, into the Samaritans in, in Acts chapter eight. And, and now, now uh, there's one more important door that God wants Peter to open. And because he knows that this one is going to be the hardest, God does some work inside of Peter's heart first. Look at verse nine. It says about noon the following day as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And this happened three times. And immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. Now, There's a lot that's going on um, in this verse. As a faithful Jew, Peter abided by the various laws of Judaism, avoided um, contact with certain foods, 
that were unclean. Leviticus 11, Deuteronomy 14 go into great description describing uh, these, these clean and unclean laws, especially as it comes to, to food. But it's not just food that Peter would have considered clean and unclean. That would have extended to people and to people groups. Peter would have had almost no contact with Gentiles, people who were not of Jewish descent. He wouldn't have had any contact with people not like him, making him unclean before God. And so he has spent his entire life avoiding Gentiles, whether it was eating their food, staying in their homes, having them even in his And yet here is God now teaching Peter that it is okay to eat these foods. Why is that? I think that the point of the vision is that God can declare anything clean. And that's true about food that Peter once considered unclean, but it is especially true of the Gentiles that Peter is about to meet. And so sure enough, as the picnic blanket ascends back up to heaven, Peter hears a a knock at the door. He goes down and he finds the men that Cornelius had sent requesting his presence. And immediately, Peter is confronted with a choice to make. These men were sent by Cornelius. They would have been Gentiles themselves. It was unlawful for Peter to even associate with them, share a meal with them, or even let them into his house, whether it was his house or, or not. But he's just had this powerful vision that nothing is impure that God has made clean. And so what does Peter do? Verse 23 tells us, it says, then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guest. And in one verse, we see Peter's walls start to crumble. The message of the vision started to, to sink in. And more importantly, the message that God's grace is available to all people is starting to open up Peter's heart to those that he once despised. And so the next morning, Peter takes a few of his friends and they get up and they head to Caesarea to meet with Cornelius. Now, everyone still with me? A lot of historical stuff. Again, this is a a big text and and wanna make sure that we're understanding the full scene that's going on here. But I think to understand the full picture, we also have to understand that the reluctance of Jews to associate with Gentiles, it was not just known in the Jewish world, it was known throughout the Roman world. And I imagine that Cornelius, despite his, his shared faith, had probably experienced some of that prejudice in his life. And so even inviting Peter to his home was kind of putting himself out there in a way that probably felt a little vulnerable to Cornelius, even though he was a man of stature and power politically and, and, and militarily, When it came to his faith, Cornelius would not have seen himself in that level. And so to invite a man like Peter into his home would have been a very vulnerable thing for Cornelius to do because he was very well aware of the segregation between Jews and Gentiles. What he didn't know and what he wasn't aware of is that the same God who is leading him to invite Peter was doing an incredible work in Peter's heart. And and so after some pleasantries, Peter says in verse 28, you're well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. And right there, I just want to say, hey, Peter, you're not off to a great start. (laughs) But God 
man, there's just no two words more beautiful in scripture than that. It's like, whenever you see those words, God is about ready to flip the entire script. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. And then Peter asks, so why am I here? And Cornelius explains the vision that he had. And then he goes on and he says, so now we are all here. I've gathered up my friends. I've gathered up my family. We are all here in the presence of God to listen to what you have to say to us. It is every preacher's dream. (laughs) And the first words out of Peter's mouth are this. I now realize Hang on to that. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. And in these two verses, Peter unlocks God's kingdom and salvation to the Gentiles. For people of all nations and races and tribes and tongues to experience God's gift of grace through Jesus, because we are all equal. We are all equal when it comes to our need for salvation, and we are all equal when it comes to God's gift of salvation. Peter goes on to break down how God used Israel to usher in his salvation, but that that gift is not just for Israel alone. It is for all people. He says in verse 43, all the prophets testify about him, about Jesus, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. But before Peter has a chance to expound on this even more, his sermon gets interrupted. And, and like I'm, I have experienced sermons get, getting interrupted, but I have never experienced it the way that Peter has been interrupted throughout his life. Uh, Peter ha- was, was interrupted by God on the Mount of Transfiguration. You know, God is up there, shines down. Moses and Elijah are there with Jesus. And Peter's like, man, it is good for us to be here. Let's hang out here more. I'll set up some tents. And God's like, hey, hey, no, no, no. Okay, so like going on with what I'm doing here. God the Father interrupted Peter. Later on through Jesus' ministry, there's this argument that breaks out about the temple tax. And Peter is like, you know, sharing his opinion. And God the Son, Jesus, interrupts him. And now here, Peter hits the the interrupted trifecta. And he's interrupted by God, the Holy Spirit. And in a scene that is similar to the day of Pentecost, the same spirit that fell on the Jews in Acts chapter two now falls on these Gentile believers. And in this event, God shows that he has destroyed the wall between the Jews and the Gentiles. Paul would later explain in Ephesians chapter two that the breaking of racial and social barriers amongst humans is the direct result of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Meaning that if there is any place in your life where you still continue to build those walls, you still continue to build those barriers, it is in direct opposition to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. You can't get away from it. And for the first time, Peter is experiencing the radical inclusion of the gospel of all nations being brought into the kingdom of God. And Acts 10 closes with these words, Peter says, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. 
And so he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with him for a few more days. In Acts 10, it closes out with this celebratory tone, but, but unfortunately not everyone is as excited about what just happened in Cornelius's home as Peter is. You know, as we all know, old prejudices die hard. And as news spread about what happened, uh, Peter is called up to Jerusalem and questioned about his association with those Gentiles. And instead of celebrating their inclusion into God's family, this, this group criticizes Peter for going into their homes and eating with them. They're so blinded by their prejudice that they miss out on what God is doing to open up salvation to all people. I'll tell you, I love what Peter does here. He doesn't get angry. Peter doesn't get defensive. He knows the truth of God and he stands confidently on that. He knows that the power of the spirit is on his side. And so he simply recounts for them everything that he had experienced. And in Acts chapter 11, verse 17, Peter closes with this. He says, so if God gave them the same spirit he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? In other words, what Peter is saying is, hey, listen, if you've got a beef, it's not with me. (laughs) And when they heard this, they had no further objections And praise God saying, so then even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. The lesson of radical inclusion that started in Peter is now working its way through the early church and it continues even still today. And it's not easy. In fact, we're going to see in just a couple of chapters, this issue resurfaces in Acts, it continues all through the New Testament, this, this kind of push and pull of should Gentiles be accepted into God's family and do they need to apply you know, Jewish laws before they can receive God's grace? And, and you know, are they really like us or, or is there some differences that still remain here that we need to make sure we keep some of our walls up? This is not easy for the early church. And, and quite honestly, this discussion today, I mean, we've seen it in our culture Recently, it's not easy for us today either, is it? These issues pop up throughout the rest of the New Testament, but they still come up in our society today. But passages like these, it makes me, it makes me confront the prejudices that I still hold on to. But it also provides a roadmap with what to do with them. And so as we close today, I wanna to give just four quick points of, of application from this text and it's pulled directly from the text that we studied today. The first one is this, pray. In our text, both Cornelius and, and, and Peter were praying when God showed up and it just goes to show that, man, good things happen in us when we pray. When we pray, God does a work in us. He, he aligns our hearts with his. When, when we pray, pray and and we have this attitude of submission to the father he lovingly and graciously shines a spotlight on areas in our heart that are still that are still under the power of darkness that that are still in the process of sanctification and so if you're willing i 
I encourage you this week to simply pray, God, please reveal any prejudices still hiding in my heart. Pray that prayer and then listen to where the Spirit leads. And as you, as you feel that coming up, maybe even later on that day or later on this week or this month, as you feel that come up, then, then pray again, God, heal that in me. Do something with this, Lord, so it does not begin to take root in my heart. One author I read this week says, I have come to realize that prejudice is often one of the last things that is touched by the process of sanctification. And, and the, the gentleman who wrote this is not some woke pastor, you know, living in our day and age. It is a native Indian missionary who's over 80 years old, ministering in his country of India, where he continues to experience racism and prejudice each and every day. And his conclusion, as he has seen all of this, is that prejudice is often one of the last things to be touched by the process of sanctification. And so if that's true, that means that we need to continue to pray and ask God to reveal and heal our, our hearts. Second, be teachable. I love the teachable spirit that Peter shows us in this passage. We didn't read the verses, but we go back and look at verses 17 and verse 19. And they talk about Peter kind of pondering everything and, and, and even wrestling with what he is learning through this experience and what God is teaching him. And I encourage all of us to take that same attitude, to be teachable, allow scripture to confront your prejudice and to direct you on what to do with them. Listen, listen to the experiences of others and listen without getting defensive. Listen to understand and not to respond. Listen to the heart of what others are saying, especially those with whom you may not agree so that you can understand where they are coming from. Telling you, learning from a place of empathy and humility will always lead to a Christ like response to difficult issues. Third, step into experiences that may challenge you. Peter stepped into some uncomfortable situations in this account, and, and he probably knew he was going to catch flack for it, which is why he took some friends to, to be with him that could defend him. And when he's called up to Jerusalem, which he was. But God uses those challenges, experiences to soften his heart towards those he had held a prejudice against. And, and I think that God continues to do the same as we step into experiences that will challenge us. You'll find that it's hard to have a prejudice against someone when you share a meal with them, when you share a cup of coffee with them. You know, I mentioned people on the side of the road asking for, for money, people who are, are homeless. If I can just be vulnerable with you, I, I, I struggled with that. And there was a time where judgment would come quickly in my mind. And then a friend invited me to, to serve at a homeless shelter with him. And I went and, and I started sharing meals with these guys, started having cups of coffee with them early in the morning as they are getting up out of bed in a, in a homeless shelter. It transferred you know, from there to serving at the men's warming center in, in Bedford every Thursday night and, and playing spades with these men and, and hearing their life story. And now I, I gotta be honest, I, when, I, when I see someone 
because I was in those uncomfortable situations that challenged my preconceived notions and ideas, my prejudices. When I see that, I don't immediately think, ah, oh, get a job. I think, man, I just want to sit down and hear what life has been like for that person, what's led them to maybe the choices that they've made that, that have led them to this part and how I can show them the hope and the grace of Jesus. So maybe you need to serve somewhere in our community that will make you rub shoulders and share a meal with people that you wouldn't otherwise socialize with. Maybe stepping into a challenging experience means attending our next uh, racial reconciliation workshop coming up on Saturday, November 14th from 9 to 11 right here in, in the worship center. Finally, share with others what you're learning. Peter modeled this so well for us. When, when he realized that he had been wrong about his earlier prejudices, Peter admits it. He confesses that he now knows that God shows no favoritism. Now knows, meaning there was a time in his life when he didn't know that. He shared what he was learning. Even more, when others criticized Peter's actions and then indirectly spoke against Cornelius and his household, Peter stood with them and spoke up for them, what God was teaching him. And it is not easy to share what you are learning, especially in our cancel culture that ironically devalues the learning process. It doesn't always feel safe. But I think that when we engage others in conversations rather than debates, God helps us find his truth on which we can lovingly and humbly and graciously stand. And so share what you're learning, give others a chance to grow, Step into experiences that challenge your preconceived ideas and opinions and deeply held beliefs. Be teachable to what God wants to teach you through his word and through the experiences of others. And finally, pray. Pray for God to soften your heart towards others and to shape you more and more into the image of Christ. Would you stand with me? This has been Upward Vision, a ministry of Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. With locations on the east and west sides of Bloomington and in Bedford, Sherwood Oaks has a worship service to meet your needs. To receive a free copy of today's message or for more information about any of our locations and service times, go to socc.org messages. Thanks for joining us. Continue to look to God this week as you maintain the upward vision.